Hi, good morning. I am excited to be preaching about this topic for Christians who doubt. Um, and I know that in a room with this many people in it, there are bound to be several of you who would admit to struggling with doubt at some point in your life. Um, and I would also imagine that there are probably even more people in this room who struggle with doubt than the number of people who would admit to struggling with doubt. Is that correct? Like for every one of you that would say, yeah, I struggle with that, there's probably another one or two people that would be like, same here, but I'm not saying that out loud. My grandma would be so upset if she knew that I was doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Or the men in my community group. Like I'd be worried they'd judge me if they knew like how concerned I was about like contradictions that I found in the Bible. Or my wife, oh, my wife, she would freak out if she knew that when that pastor that we respected so much, like when it was revealed that he had committed, been committing adultery the whole time we respected him so much, like if, if she knew that when that happened, I lost faith not only in him, but in almost everything he ever preached. How am I doing so far? Are these real concerns? Yeah. And so for the next two weeks, I want to talk about Christian doubt. And then um, eventually I want to get to non-Christian doubt. So this week, talk about Christians doubting. Next week, talk some more about Christian doubt. And then the week after that, talk about non-Christian doubt. And then the week after that, non-Christian doubt for a total of four weeks. And the reason why I want to do it in those two stages and talk about it that way is I do believe that Christian doubt is different than non-Christian doubt. Accepting the truth of Christianity and then 10 years later being tempted to abandon it is different than the doubt of never having believed in the first place, right? And there are some of you that are in this room that um, maybe you're around 15 years old or 16 years old or 17 years old. Um, or maybe even as old as like 22, 23, 24 years old. But you're at that point where you are trying to determine whether this is your faith or your parents' faith. You know how that works? At some point, it, you, get, you, you just kind of grow up and you go, well, I believe this. Why? Well, because dad said so, mom said so. I grew up in Sunday school and that's, they said Jesus rose again from the grave and I believe them. You know, I like the Sunday school teacher and I went to kid zone and they said Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I thought, okay, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But then at some point you go, well, do I believe this just because of the family I grew up in and the way I grew up? Right? I mean, I guess if I had grown up in Iran, I'd probably be a Muslim, right? If I grew up in Tibet... I'd probably be a Buddhist. So why am I a Christian? Is it just because of the family I happen to be around? And is that why I believe? And I think that's a good question to ask at some point. Like, do I believe simply because my parents did? For those of you that that's true of. I mean, I think it's a good to ask. Like, ask yourself, what happens if your parents deconverted, right? Like, if they, if they didn't believe anymore, would you still believe? Because at some point that happened to me. Like, I don't remember what day it was, but I think at some point I realized, like, Oh, I am in. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in Jesus separate from my mom. At some point, I believe in Jesus because my mom. Like, she was the one that told me about Jesus. She would read us Bible stories and, you know, whatever, devotionals and stuff at night. Mom told me about Jesus. At some point, I believed about Jesus because mom said so. And then at some point, it changed. And then I know there came a day where if she were to come along and say, hey, guess what? I'm not a Christian anymore, and you shouldn't be one either. I would say to her, it's too late. I'm in. I believe in Jesus independent of you. And I think that's important to think through. And so I want to talk to those of you who are struggling with this stuff. Do I believe just because my parents? Is this just because this is what I was always told? Is this my own faith? 
I especially want to talk to anybody in this room who would say, I am a Christian right now, but I just feel like I'm drifting. These past several months, these past several years, I just feel like I'm drifting. I I think I believe in Jesus, but I'm worried that if things keep going the way that they're going, maybe next year at this time, I won't be. And so for those of you in that category, I want to give you an important question this morning, an important question that you must ask yourself before you walk any further away. This is a question that I have asked myself, I don't know, many times, maybe a dozen times, and it has helped to prevent me from drifting away. It is a question that's found in the Bible. It's found in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 6 right now. We're going to learn, it's a 71 verse chapter. We're going to learn most of the verses in the chapter this morning. Um, I want to let you know I have been greatly influenced by another preacher when it comes to this chapter. When I think of John chapter 6, I think of a sermon that I heard about 15 years ago. Um, And so I just want to let you know that I'm influenced by him, and I'm going to say things like the way he talks. Like, in fact, the big idea in this sermon, like the main application point at the end of this sermon, I got from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in Atlanta, and I heard a sermon of his on this, I think it was about 15 years ago. So I just want to credit him and let you know that I am passing on to you what he taught to me. Um, Now, I'm saying it in my own words. I have not gone back and re-listened to his sermon in the past 10 or 15 years, so I'm definitely going to say this in my words. But if there's anything I say that sounds similar to some sermon he's preached, just know I got it from him. He didn't get it from me, okay? Um, So, John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, And a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So I want to just point out first, huge crowd. That's important. That's going to matter for the rest of the story. Jesus was performing these signs. People heard about it. And there are a bunch of people. We're about to find out it's actually thousands of people. Okay. Huge crowd of people following him. Verse three. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. This case, disciples, I think meaning like these, this huge crowd of people who were following him. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming, um, oh, sorry, that's not. So we got the disciples, his 12. Then we have these other people who are later in the passage also called disciples, meaning followers of Jesus. So um, huge crowd coming toward him. So he asked Philip, this would be one of his 12 disciples, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so, that, so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So huge crowd of people, they all show up, and he goes, how are we going to feed all these people? Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. We couldn't afford to, to feed all these people. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And then Jesus said, have the people sit down. And what follows is the very, very famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, multiplying the loaves and the fish so that the people could eat. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And then verse 14, skipping down to 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, sign here is a synonym for the word miracle, right? Like it's talking about the multiplying of the fish and the loaves. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. 
Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what happens is Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the people really like it a lot, okay? They become super fans. They, these are the like, most intense groupies you have ever seen, right? They want to make him their king by force. I don't know if that's forcing him to be king against his will or by force like against the Roman Empire's will. You can tell, it's, but certainly against Jesus' will to do that, and it would have definitely been against the Roman Empire's will. So either way, you can see these people, when, once they saw the sign, once they saw that he was able to multiply the food, they were very excited. They said, this really is the prophet who is to come into the world. They believed he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Now, I don't know that they believed he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. I don't know that they understood he was the Messiah. I don't think that they understood that he was from heaven, that he's God, like divine one come to earth. But, but they knew that there was a prophecy about a prophet that was going to come that would be like Moses and he would show up one day and, and they were supposed to listen to him. And they're like, he's here. The prophet they were supposed to listen to is here. The one who was to come into the world. So they believed he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and they were ready to make him their king by force. They were very excited. They were very pleased with him. They were, you know, if they had the word Christian back then, I think they would all have been like, yep, that's what we are, okay? So then the next thing that happens, and I'm just gonna skip this next story. The next story that happens is Jesus walks on the water, okay? And he gets to the other side of the lake and I'm gonna skip to the other side of the lake. In fact, our children's director, Jenny, I practiced this sermon to her and she said, you should tell them you're gonna skim over that part. Um, so, so Jesus walks on the water, and the, basically the only part you need to know is that he ends up being reunited with the same people. So the, the people that were with him, um, they have to take boats. Jesus didn't have to take a boat, but they did. They're not Jesus. So they had to take a boat, and he was able to walk, and then they're on the other side of the lake. And then we're going to pick up the story there, verse 26. Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, because they went over to the other side of the lake to find him. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Right? You can tell he's starting to say, oh, you don't really get it. You just like the temporary like, food that I provided. Right? You ate the loaves and were filled. Verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. This isn't just about getting more bread and fish. There's something much bigger and eternal and spiritual at stake here. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Later on, verse 32, Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Now look what Jesus says back. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Like if you have faith in me, it will take care of your, your needs forever. Not just the one day that you got the bread. Verse 36, but as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Now that's big. Because he's looking at a group of people that I bet if you ask them, do you believe, they would say, yes. I mean, they were, this was, these are the people that said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. Right? These are the same people that on the other side of the lake said, let's make him king. And then he looks at them and says, not all of you actually believe in me. 
But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verse 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Later on, verse 41, therefore the Jews started complaining about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? So at first they're like, this is the prophet and he's our king. And then he says, I'm the bread of life that's come from heaven. And they go, well, now, wow, that's not what we believed. Like we were, we believed, but we don't believe that, that you're from heaven. No, we, your dad is Joseph, your mom's Mary. Like, how could you say you're from heaven? We know your family. We know where you're really from. Why are you talking like this? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then they said back, verse 52, at that the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You can see the doubts begin, right? It started with, how is he from heaven? We know his mom and dad. Now it moves to, wait, he's the bread and his flesh is the bread that's given for us? This doesn't even make any sense. And I think Jesus at this point could have said, like, you, you, you aren't getting it. This is a metaphor, right? Like, and and he, could, he could have tried to explain it in a way that was more palatable. But look what he says instead when they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Well, that, that made it much better, I'm sure. <laughs> right, if you're sitting there listening, you're going, this is, this is getting worse. He keeps going. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your fathers ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? No joke, right? I'm sure they did. He's saying, you need to have me in you and you'll have eternal life. And they're going, and I don't know what they mean. I don't know if they mean this is hard to understand or like we get what he's saying, but it's hard to, like, to, it's offensive. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Now, remember, they were just going, he's the prophet, let's make him king. Now they're going, can we accept what he's saying? Verse 61, Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining. Now notice, he knew this. At any point he could have said, oh, I'm, I'm losing the audience here, I've got to say something different. He could have said something different if he wanted to. He knew that his disciples were complaining about this, and he asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I am from heaven. Verse 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. 
but there are some among you who don't believe. It's the second time he said it now. Some of you are not truly believers. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And I think in that case, you can tell the word disciples here is not meaning just the 12. It's talking about the thousands of people. They turned around and walked off. Verse 67, therefore Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12, because he was going to betray him. So first of all, let me just point out the main thrust of this chapter seems to me to be that when Jesus peels off the facade, it was revealed who really believed in him and who didn't. It looked like there were thousands of people that believed in him. And once he was able to pull off the facade and really see what was going on underneath, it revealed who really believed in him and who didn't. Once Jesus said some things that were difficult and offensive, it became more obvious who the true followers were and who the true followers were not. Because that day, thousands of people walked away and stopped following him. And I say thousands because there was at least 5,000 that was on the other side of the lake with the food, and then they went around to the other side, and then he said this stuff, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then it says many of them. So I'm thinking many of 5,000 would have to be at least thousands that walked off and didn't follow him anymore. But some people really did believe in him. At least 12, maybe more, but at least 12 stayed. Because he said to the 12, do you want to go? And, and they didn't, right? And it's funny. So you could say thousands left him and then 12 really believed in him. But then by the end of the passage, you realize not even all 12, just 11 of the 12. Because he specifically points out that Judas was there and Judas hung on a little bit longer. Judas didn't walk away right then. But Judas didn't really believe in him either. And in this chapter, we also see that Jesus emphasized God's role in their faith. That it wasn't just them believing, but that God, he emphasizes God's role in their believing. Look at verse 65. He says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And the fact that he says, this is why I told you, he's, he's saying, this isn't even the first time I've said this. He had already said it back in like verse 44. In verse 44, he had said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then a little bit later, he says, this is why I told you, he's referring back to that verse, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. If you are here and you are able to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to thank God for that. You need to praise him because he is the one who enables you to follow Jesus. And there's probably a lot more that could be said about that, but for the purpose of today's sermon, I want to focus on verses 66 to 69. Look at right after he says that, this is the next verse. From that moment on, this is verse 66, from that moment Many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Maybe there are some of you that you're you're kind of tempted to do that, right? And so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Right? Everyone else is walking away. You want to go with them or not? 
And then look at, what, look at what, how Simon Peter answers. Peter answered, this is on behalf of the 12. Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I think the most important thing in a sense that he said is, you're the Holy One of God, right? You have the words of eternal life. We know that much about you. I bet you Peter did not understand what he meant by eat my flesh, drink my blood. Just a guess. But I'm just guessing Peter didn't know what he was talking about. But he said, but this is what I do know. You're the Holy One of God. And then look what he says just before that. It's interesting. Jesus asks them a question and Peter answers his question with a question. Simon Peter, so, so Jesus says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Peter says, Lord, who will we go to? Jesus asks the question and Peter asks the question back. It's a rhetorical question, but still, it's a question. Who will we go to? And that is the question that I told you at the beginning of the sermon I was going to tell you that you need to ask yourself before you walk any further away. Who will you go to? Before you walk away, ask yourself, what's the alternative? Who will I go to? Because that is huge. And many people don't even take time to consider it. But you need to know, you will worship something. You will follow someone. You will value something above all else. You might, no, I won't. I'll just do nothing. No, you're going to value things and something's going to be the top thing. You will value something above all else. You will believe something. You don't get to walk away from Christianity and then go believe nothing. You're going to believe something. You don't walk away from Jesus and worship nothing, follow nothing, believe nothing, and value nothing. That never happens. You will walk toward something. Now here's the question. Is that something better than Jesus? I want to read you a quote from a guy named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is really old. Actually, he's dead. He's so old, he's dead. Matthew Henry was a Puritan. He lived in the 1700s, um, I think in England, and he was like a scholar. He wrote commentaries about the Bible. I think he was a pastor. And I want you to, in his commentary, and this is 300-year-old English, so it's going to sound old. But he said about that, this verse that I just was showing, the, the Lord, who will we go to? This is what he wrote in his commentary. Matthew Henry said, Note, Christ's holy religion appears to great advantage when it is compared with other institutions. For then it will be seen how far it excels them all. Let those who find fault with this religion find a better before they quit it. A divine teacher we must have. Can we find a better than Christ? I love the part where he says, let those who find fault with this religion find a better before they quit it. See, when I got to the point in my life where I was like thinking this all through and going, wow, do I really believe this? Like, do I really, am I really a Christian and, and do I really believe all this? For me, the thing that I was tempted toward, I think, was atheism or agnosticism. I realize it's different things for different people. Okay, for me, that's what it was. Like, it's not, when I was thinking, do I really believe all this? Is Christianity true? Like, I was not tempted toward Hinduism. That was not the thing that I was like, mm, maybe so. Like, Christian, mm, this looks good. Like, that wasn't it for me. I'm sure that is for some people. For me, I think it was agnosticism, atheism, maybe there's no God at all, or maybe we can't know. 
And then there's a point where I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, I guess quite frankly, I was frustrated with Christianity and the Bible and what God had revealed to me at that point in my life because I still had unanswered questions. There were things about life that didn't seem to match up with the Bible and there were things within the Bible that didn't seem to match up with each other. And I had unanswered questions and they bothered me, intensely bothered me. And so then I allow these unanswered questions to sort of tempt me to go and do what? And so I'm thinking, and and this is why you got to ask, who will you go to? Because I'm thinking, well, maybe there's no God at all, right? I'm considering atheism, but here's the thing. (laughs) You know what comes along with atheism? A lot of unanswered questions, right? I was bothered. Jesus doesn't answer all my questions, so what will I do? Yeah, I'll go to a worldview that does not answer why are we here? Where did we come from? Why is there something rather than nothing? And what are we supposed to do with our lives? However, the Bible does answer those questions. The Bible has good answers to those questions. And so I guess at some point I realized it would be foolish of me to walk away because Christianity hasn't answered all my questions, which I'm just going to let you know as a pastor, that's just the way it's going to be at least if you're, if you're a question asker. Like, Christianity is never going to answer every single question you could have. In fact, if you're not a Christian, which I'm really not supposed to even talk to you, you're supposed to be two weeks from now. <laughs> but I'll say this, if you're not a Christian and you're sitting around thinking, maybe one day I will be one if I get all my questions answered, you'll never become a Christian that way. You'll never get them all answered. That's not, that day's not coming. So I'm sitting there going, okay, there's these questions I don't get answered. So then what? So then I'm going to leave for a worldview that has even bigger unanswered questions. That would be foolish. So if you can be like Peter in this passage, and you can believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, then let that be enough. Even if you go, I don't have all my questions answered, that's fine. Do you know he's the Holy One of God? Then let that be enough, and in fact, praise him that he has granted you that much. And then keep following Jesus, even with your unanswered questions. Take him along for the ride. A divine teacher we must have. Can we find a better than Christ? That's the question. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to say this. I pray that anything that is merely of me would just be forgotten, but I pray that that which is of you would be remembered. I pray that there would be people here who would ask the question, who, who will I go to? Instead of just walking off without thinking through all that. I thank you that you draw us. I thank you that there are some of us that, that when we say we believe in you, we don't even get to say, and, and it's because I mustered up so much faith, but that you're the one that enabled us to believe in you. And I pray that you would enable people to believe in you. I pray that if there's anybody in here who does not know you, I pray that you would enable them to believe in you even today. And I pray if there's anybody here who is kind of on the edge and feeling like they were drifting, I pray that you would draw them back to yourself and they would trust in you today. I love you. And I'm so, like, whenever we do this whole, like you haven't answered all my questions. Like I'm, on behalf of all of us in this room who would mean it, We apologize to you for thinking you owe us that, and we thank you for everything you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.